Hey guys, welcome to Product Explain, a show where we talk about the products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, when do you think we're all just going to be plugged into the Matrix and we'll be fed with tubes? We're already in the simulation, my friend. They're winning, if you're asking this question. <laughs> Today's show, we're talking about Oculus, a virtual reality subsidiary of Facebook. Yeah, so I think before we get started, I really just want to explain what virtual reality is. I know that most of our audience might know what VR is or virtual reality. VR is a term for a digital environment that you essentially immerse yourself into. Uh, you can look around, you can move around and interact with controllers. Uh, sorry, you can interact with the space around you with controllers. To get academic here, a Stanford researcher, uh, Jonathan Stewart, tried to define this term in a 1992 white paper where he landed that the term VR was actually coined in the late 80s by Jaron uh, Lanier, I think is the, his name is. Uh, he was a CEO of this company called VPL Research, um, who was building gloves, goggles, and other products that eventually got acquired by uh, Sun Microsystems. But what does this all mean practically? Put some goggles on and step right into the future. So as Jeff mentioned, Oculus is a brand of VR solutions that is under the parent company of Facebook. Their main product, which is how they got their start, is the Oculus Rift, and it's a headset that a customer wears to immerse themselves in this said virtual world. It's a you know really interesting device. It's got um, a screen, it's got earphones, and between one and two hand controllers uh, that you actually use as you're interacting with the world. A little anecdote there is my first experience with like a really high quality VR system was actually the HTC Vive. When I was working in Boston um, at Autodesk, we had this giant mammoth computer workstation that I think had like either two or four video cards. It was just crazy how much how expensive this was. And we got to actually play games with it. So <laughs> I remember like the first game I had a ton of fun in VR was actually this stick figure arrow shooting game where you actually like looked around and had to defend your castle from stick figures and you literally had to move your arm pull it and shoot an arrow so it was kind of like my arms got really tired i was very surprised <laughs> at the end of it but it, it was really interesting to um to have that experience and actually be tired after after going through a video game i don't know if you've had any experience with vr jeff I, I've checked it out here and there. I, I have a bunch of friends that are getting Oculus Quests and starting to check that out because they've become more affordable. But no, I haven't specifically purchased my own VR system or anything like that. I know it's like kind of up and coming and people are really interested in getting them for gaming purposes. Totally. And yeah, so we can talk about Oculus's business model. So they primarily sell hardware devices. So um, they have a range of devices at different price points. Their cheapest is a rough, roughly 300 bucks, which is, as Jeff mentioned, the Oculus Quest. And they also have a more expensive $700 version, the Oculus Rift. I think that the real hidden cost here is that it's not just the $300 or $700. Yeah, and the hidden cost here is having this giant computer to run these <laughs> devices. And that computer could cost thousands of dollars, right. um, depending on the level of graphics that you want and the experience that you want. You're going to have to also pony up <laughs> to, to actually plug this Oculus into something else. Facebook also has a marketplace and store where they actually offer apps and they take a percentage off the top uh, of each sale. So they're actually not only trying to you know, create the, the hardware, which is actually relatively cheap if you think about what you're getting for $300, but also they're trying to you know, incentivize people to come to this platform and then uh, just have this giant marketplace that people are operating on. Um, and it kind of fits within Facebook's 
MO, if you think about it, where they're just, uh, they already have a billion people on social media. So uh, if they can, if they, they might see social media, or sorry, virtual reality is the next social media. Um, and it's, it's just a land grab. So getting people these cheap devices um, and building out the marketplace and figuring out how to monetize later is likely how they're, uh, um, how Facebook's approaching this. Um, and in that same vein, I think with virtual reality, there's also a, a business aspect for uh, like enterprise type solutions. So business to business types type of uh, solutions. So Oculus actually also has a Oculus business brand where they're focusing on building VR type solutions for, for companies. So imagine that you're a product designer and you're want to look at like imagine you're a product designer designing a car for example and you want to you know peek around corners and like look into the the car in in actual 3d space without building this car over and over and over again that's a service that oculus business might have so that's definitely a mouthful for what oculus is in the business model but a lot to unpack there yeah a couple things to touch on i now remember that Right before COVID, I went to a like one of those VR gaming rooms in like a mall somewhere for a friend's birthday. And basically, you strap on um, a VR headset. It was probably in the Oculus portfolio. But they also had you strap on basically a laptop as a backpack <laughs> to help run that. And then you're in a big room with green screens. Uh, and there's all these motion cameras around you. And basically, the game is just constantly updating uh, your 3D space. And so... It was like me and like three or four other people in the room walking about. And then I think it was like a zombie shooter. So you're like in the middle of this mansion. Uh, zombies are coming out you. Uh, you That's can terrifying. walk around this like 10 by 10 foot like space on the floor. And then it kind of tells you like, hey, you're going too far. You have to come back. But you can interact with your own teammates because you can see them. And then they'll also do things like there's fans in the room. It's kind of like those 4D rides that you've gone to at amusement parks or whatever where something is in the back of your seat and it'll like poke you whenever you're getting stung by a bee on screen or maybe there's water spraying at you from the seat in front of you or you know in our case it was like wind blowing whatever the doors would open so it's stuff like that to make it feel super immersive so i think there's some really cool applications with vr and then i guess in this case like this is just what you would do at home and it kind of adds to the experience but I can't imagine like somebody's like setting up fans and stuff in their own house and like <laughs> spray <laughs> balls of water to like go off at certain times just to give you the fully immersive experience. One other thing totally. I kind of want to mention is kind of this idea of how intertwined like software and then the human aspect of it is. I know that there's a certain percentage of the population that does get motion sickness when they're using virtual reality. It's a little weird, right? Like you, your eyes see that you're moving or you're feeling this moving sensation, but your body's not actually moving. So one of the main causes of motion sickness is that your brain doesn't have that equilibrium or it can't really establish equilibrium. So I know that recently, I think it was like basically in the past month or so, Oculus had actually released a software update that's supposed to help their users get over motion sickness. So it's pretty crazy. You're basically solving motion sickness with a software patch which is like a pretty crazy thing too yeah that's that's absolutely wild that's so sci-fi to be able to do that it's like it's very um you know i know you haven't read snow crash before but it's it's definitely like in that same vein of you know <laughs> getting a software patch and causing a crash for like all of humanity so i haven't read snow crash but i have at least watched ready player one and that movie is basically a vr movie right but the idea is that you can kind of live out any life that you want if you have the equipment to like enter this vr world or tron you know obviously tron's a very mm -hmm. like well-known popular virtual reality movie 
You can't really patch real humans, but you could patch the interface. So I wonder if in the future it makes sense to just have people experience the world like in a seat, <laughs> like with VR yeah. and like all this other stuff. I mean, it's crazy to think about, right? But like, I don't think that world is that far off. It's kind of scary to think about. But there are some ways that that world is actually really good for people, especially if you, for example, can't make use of your actual physical body. Instead, could you utilize VR and rebuild some neural connections, like strengthen your body, things like that? Totally. And one of my favorite episodes of the sci-fi show Black Mirror is uh, San Junipero. And I, I won't give this away, but essentially um, nursing home patients are allowed to plug into like a, a virtual reality where they can be whatever age they want to be. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever they want to. Uh, so it's a way for them to just, you know, basically relive their, their lives. So it, it's kind of dives into exactly what you said mm-hmm. of like, imagine like you're bedridden, but you're actually, um, you know, in this VR world, living life as a 22 year old you. Yeah. You know? So it's like really cool. It's, it's super crazy to think about, but it, I don't think that it's beyond our lifetime. Like I definitely think some, at some point in our lifetime, there will be people, you know, experiencing life, experiencing the world. Like and for us, it was like video games, right? We, we look at a screen and we're, our interfaces are the keyboard and the mouse, but very soon, I feel like t- technology is going to catch up and people are going to be able to walk around, um, you know, fly planes, like do all this stuff in this VR world without putting their real body in danger. And it's just kind of interesting to see how this kind of shake out. I mean, yeah, we're, we're totally close. Like I saw this, uh, this post on Reddit the other day, might have been like two or three nights ago of some dude made, they're basically like treadmill shoes for VR. Hmm. So they imagine like you're, you take a step and you don't was, go it, anywhere. You don't go anywhere. So it was Weird. really cool like, like application. And it's so funny that you mentioned video games growing up because one of my favorite video games was Blizzard's Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. Mm-hmm. And I I could remember just like being so immersed that I, want, I, I thought I was in a 3D space and I thought I was actually like a barbarian, like slaying like the devil, which is an awesome statement to, <laughs> to make. Um, and I remember like, t- like talking to my brother because we used to just watch each other play for hours, which is definitely foreshadowing for like Twitch, you know, yeah. just like video in, e- in e-games and all of that. But I remember like telling him that, you know, someday like someone's going to make something where you can actually be the barbarian and physically slay um, like all these like demons and, and all sorts of stuff. So. Love it. Yeah, super crazy. Let's jump into how uh, Oculus came to be. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. In 2012, a couple folks, Palmer Lucky, Brendan Iribe, Michael Antonov, and Nate Mitchell basically founded Oculus in its original form in Irvine, California. Palmer Lucky is kind of like the spearhead figure in the company. He was a head-mounted display engineer um, at the USC's Institute for Creative Technologies. When I was looking into him, he's actually a little bit younger than us. So I wonder if... At this point, he was still a student or if he was actually like maybe just graduated early or just like a savant. Palmer had the world's largest collection of HMDs, so short for head mounted displays. And he was a super longtime moderator of this community called Meant to be Seen. So MTBS. There's too many acronyms in today's episode. But essentially, he was part of this community that was interested in, you know, exploring the VR space or, you know, exploring the kind of this 3D world space. In the forum, he actually came up with the idea to develop a better and inexpensive HMD specifically for gamers. So he's kind of looking around at other people's HMDs and kind of figuring out, yeah, like I, I kind of want these qualities, but I don't want the price point. Like it's really expensive to get these sort of heads up displays and things like that. 
John Carmack, who was a lead programmer for games like Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, Quake. He happened to actually get his hands on this early prototype that Palmer Lucky had put together. And then later, the company that he was working for, which is ID Software, which again was like kind of the creator of this of Wolfenstein, Doom, and Quake. They actually announced that their BFG edition of Doom 3 would be compatible <laughs> with HMDs. So I think it was like kind of happenstance that this happened, that they were all part of this community and Palmer had pulled some people together and started to develop his own version of a, of an affordable VR headset, which came to be the Oculus. It's funny because John Carmack, even though he like stumbled upon this prototype and liked it, later on he joined Oculus as a CTO. And I think he was at, at the company for some time. That's really cool. And it, I, I love that it's like it's so gamer centric here of just yeah. like all these folks where they just wanted this awesome gamer experience. So I, I think that what's interesting is if you look at how different inspirations have driven technology, usually you find that science fiction, so like Star Trek, like typically drives technology in some way. So if you look at like early sci-fi movies or TV shows, and then how that inspired people to create things later on, like it's actually a pretty close one-to-one or like very highly correlated thing where people like see this thing in sci-fi like star trek and they're like how do i do that in today's world with today's technology and they start moving toward that direction and then gaming so like gaming has also driven a lot of innovation to be used in various different industries in this example here it's vr and people want to just do it so they can experience out-of-body experiences and do kind of crazy things but you're able to also use oculus which we'll talk about a little bit later in non-gaming applications so it kind of drives a lot of this innovation totally and to quote silicon valley here um it's it's pornography that leads the way with with innovation exactly for anyone that's that's watched silicon valley yeah that's true yeah that is true so oculus rift actually first demoed at e3 in 2012 e3 is basically a big electronics conference that happens every year usually it's in the gaming space so you hear all the big title announcements the triple a game announcements happen at e3 the console announcements happen at e3 sometimes they do their hardware updates at e3 so there might be like a pro version to let's say the ps5 that will probably announce at some point in e3 so e3 is a big gamer convention Shortly after they demoed their product, they actually started a Kickstarter campaign to launch their first VR headset. Uh, and they were initially making this developer kit available for people to develop off of. So they're basically selling the hardware so that people can mm-hmm. make VR games and apply that to the VR headset. It raised $2.4 million by the end of the campaign, which was, I think, 10x of their 250 k goal. As someone who's raised a Kickstarter before, that is super, super impressive. I think we hit like close to two times our goal. But yeah, 10x is pretty incredible. It's like one month, one week, one day. Like those are kind of like the key milestones you're looking at. Obviously, at one month, you want to hit all of your milestones. But if you reach, I think, 30% of your funding in the first day, uh, that's a good indicator that you're going to complete all your funding. And then depending on what you hit at the first week, you know, that that gives you a good indicator for if you'll hit all of your stretch goals. So yeah, I mean, clearly, they blew their stretch goal out of the water. Uh, and they were able to raise a ton of money. In 2013, Mark Andreessen, who's part of Andreessen Horowitz, um, which is a well-known venture capital fund, actually joined the company's board to lead a $75 million Series B. I didn't actually see what was in their Series A or if they considered Kickstarter to be their Series A. I mean, maybe, but yeah, I, I, they, they definitely raised a ton of money and there's a, a lot of value. And when you get someone like Mark Andreessen to join your board, there's a lot of visibility because they're very, very totally. It's It's really interesting too. Like, I, I'm just 
guessing, like I, I don't know without looking this up, but I, I'm guessing that they probably raised a panic Series A when they realized that you know they needed to build all this hardware, yeah, and soon. they only raised 2.4 million, right. <laughs> so yeah. they probably just under underfunded themselves on Kickstarter. Yeah, for sure, that happens like all the time too, as well. In 2014, Facebook acquired Oculus for two billion, and it was pretty funny because a lot of backers felt like it was a slight at them because. You know, usually when you back independently via Kickstarter, you're supporting these independent businesses and these independent inventors and creators. And by kind of selling out to Facebook, these backers felt like it was counterintuitive to the ideology of crowdfunding. But I mean, it's $2 billion. So yeah, um, totally. That's a hard number to, to turn around or, um, to turn down. It's a very fast and meteoric rise to this idea in 2012, all the way up to selling your company two years later for $2 billion. I mean, how incredible is that? I do remember... In 2014, when Oculus came out, it did feel like things were moving so fast and you weren't sure who was going to end up on top of this VR um, competition, whether it was going to be them or HTV Vive or all these different companies. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see that they they turned out being acquired by Facebook and, you know, clearly they're still around today. One example of another backer who was actually kind of angry about this crowdfunding slight that happened and selling out to Facebook was Marcus Person. He was actually a Minecraft developer and he criticized the move in the acquisition. And then he joined the company in 2014 as chief scientist. So <laughs> money talks, especially in technology. No, for sure. Since then, uh, they've obviously launched multiple VR models that Mike had alluded to. So they had their Rift line, their Go line, their Quest line, etc. And of course, they're still launching things like VR for Business and other different products across their portfolio. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, we can talk about who Oculus is for. And I really struggled to identify like the target segment other than just like the bleeding edge, you know, early tech adopter, you know, this market segment of virtual reality is just so nascent, but it's a gro- it's growing like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Statista actually published a study saying that the combined AR, which is augmented reality, which is a whole nother episode that we should probably go into yeah. with something like HoloLens or Google Glass, but the combined AR and VR market was roughly um, 19 billion uh, US dollars in 2020. And they expect it to grow uh, today in 2021 uh, to $30.7 billion. That's a 78% increase. I mean, Anything that's growing year over year, 78% is an interesting business (laughs) um, that I would definitely love to watch closely and also um, maybe invest in. And full disclosure, I don't have any investments in this yet, so I would um, definitely start investigating this after this episode. But um, Statista (laughs) is not investment advice, so. (laughs) Exactly. And Statista, you know, shows like the hockey stick growth um, all the way through 2024, where it goes all the way up to nearly $300 billion in, in revenue, in expected revenue for VR and AR by 2024. Um, and so we, we touched a lot on like the, you know, really high tech solutions here. But I think that one really good execution of, you know, a more low fidelity virtual reality was actually Google Glass. Um, sorry, not Google Glass. Um, I, I take that back. That was an expensive augmented reality version, but <laughs> that also um, didn't pan out. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but Google Cardboard. So, Jeff, I don't know if you remember this, but when Star Wars came out in 2016, um, they actually gave away Google Cardboard through Verizon. I think you could go to like any Verizon store and get this, or maybe Verizon mailed them. I have no idea, but my parents like had a bunch of them. They might. They mailed me some in Boston mm-hmm. and you basically uh, had this uh, cardboard that you put your frame, your, uh, your phone into. And then you, if you had an Android, you could run 
virtual reality software that would put you into like a two minute Star Wars, like immersed reality ad for the movie. And it was amazing. Like I thought that was a beautiful, you know, execution because like the cardboard probably costs like a dollar maximum yeah. <laughs> to, to print, like and then, you know, whatever the software costs to, to develop it, which I'm sure was a non-trivial cost. <clears throat> Um, or was not a non-trivial cost, but um, I thought that was a, like a really nice way to to reach the masses and, and have a good execution for for virtual reality, and that was really focused on on advertising. I didn't look into the economics of that f- um, for any of those major players, be it Disney, Verizon, or Google. But um, I'm curious to see like how that drove you know additional movie ticket sales <laughs> for for Star Wars at the time. Um, but that was a little bit of a tangent. But talking back to Oculus, if you look at today, there's about 2 million people on the gaming platform Steam that have a connected uh, virtual reality headset. So uh, oh, wow. it's definitely a growing market. And, you know, I think, Jeff, you spoke to it where it's like, hey, it's like, you know, I might not have it, but I know a couple of people that mm-hmm. have. It's yeah. it's like one of it's one of those markets that's growing fast and it's starting, the price is starting to come down. Um, I think it's going to keep growing over the, over the next few years. Yeah, that's incredible. I think it's funny that I, I'm interested to see like 200 million compared to how many gamers there are on Steam. Like, what percentage of folks are we expecting? Like, I, I don't know the number, but I, I'm I'm curious to see if like six degrees of separation, like how many folks that you know might have a VR headset. And I, at this point, I know too. So, <laughs> yeah, I also want to mention I can't remember if I specifically got a Google Cardboard, but I have gotten one of those like plastic housings um, that you put on your head and you can put your phone in as well so it's the same idea but a little bit more sturdy and it was actually done by some like injection molding so like, <laughs> maybe like if you don't care about your phone or you know you know it's been ten dollars versus one dollar then you can use the cardboard instead so yeah, let's talk about the competitor so mike already mentioned google cardboard but obviously there are other well-known and well-established vr headset companies like htc vive uh, Samsung's gear. And Mike, you put R Outdoors here. So can you explain why R Outdoors <laughs> is a competitor? Yeah. So um, for those Reddit users that are listening to us, you probably already know what R slash Outdoors is. But um, uh, Reddit has a kind of a meme thread called Outdoors where people just post like they act like it's a video game and say, hey, like I leveled up and it's them like walking their dog outside. <laughs> so great. it's like it's it's funny things like that. So that's my that's my joke. Just go out and live in the real world, not the virtual reality world. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk about our thoughts. So I can go first. I think that the idea behind VR is definitely here to stay, right? There's no doubt that we're moving towards VR and AR from a gaming perspective, from an experience perspective, you're starting to see more and more people get it. The price point's coming down. There's more available games and experiences in VR. You're starting to see VR pop up in movie theaters. They're starting to pop up in these malls. They're starting to pop up at amusement parks. So I think you're just going to see it come more frequently to to be more accessible. And the technology is going to keep pushing further and further so that people are going to start using it. I think it's really smart that what they did was they kind of made this hardware available to people. Other folks are able to just start creating games off of it. I do feel like right now the game quality could be a little bit better. I think that's just the fact that like you're kind of limited by the hardware, right? I mean, you know that you have this VR game, you have to either stand still and you can't walk away too (laughs) far. Otherwise, you might hit stuff in your living room or apartment or your house or whatever. I've seen these funny videos on YouTube of people like swinging their hands at these like VR enemies. They like smash their TV or do things like that. <laughs> so, I mean, 
I do think that there's like some limitations to the technology, but at the same time, I do think the idea is very, very incredible. And I also feel like the price point has come down to a point where it makes some sense to be in the early adopter price range where I wouldn't mind paying, you know, that 300 or even $600 for for one of these units so I could experience VR so long as there's enough games and things to kind of keep me occupied and feel like I got my money's worth. I think overall, I'm going to give it a 4.0. I do think that the pricing is heading in the right direction. I feel like the experience is really cool. Obviously, they're even doing really awesome things like fixing motion sickness for a lot of people. But I do feel like I'm still waiting for like a major AAA title to put a game out on VR and have it be just a VR experience instead of, hey, like here's like a $10 two hour VR experience and that's it. Like I feel like you're getting all these like demo clips now, but I want like a full like 110 hour game in VR and like a lot of content. And I feel like I'm I'm still missing that. Totally. So we're waiting for Skyrim just to be yeah, ported exactly. over to you. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Yeah, so I, I think there's a there's a lot for me to think about when I try to rate just Oculus. So I, to your point, 100% agree that virtual reality is here to stay. I'm of the opinion that augmented reality is going to be way bigger mm-hmm. in terms of dollars than virtual reality, just because there's a business to business application for of sure. like, like, hey, like if I'm a designer, like put on this headset and like I can see it on my desk, but also I can play with something in, in the digital world and also, you know, go maybe go to a, uh, I don't know, a job site and I can see the architectural blueprints as I'm, as I'm building things. So I think virtual reality, at least for over the next five to 10 years, is going to be bigger than is going to be bigger than virtual reality. That said, I think that it's really interesting from a strategic point of view that Facebook acquired Oculus. So it just makes me really think of, you know, they just want to build that platform that everyone goes to. Like they are the, you know, de facto place that you go to for virtual reality is Oculus and like no one else will be able to to go on. So I, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if Facebook comes out with a strategy to just drive the device sales, like to basically at co- like sell these devices at cost or as cheap as possible, because they know that if they build this community and this whole platform, yeah. that's going to be way more valuable. Because imagine like Facebook's business today is selling ads. So if everyone's in virtual reality, there is like exponentially more real estate <laughs> for selling ads than, you know, if you think like it's invasive, how like you're on your Instagram and you get a t-shirt ad because your buddy Jeff told you about a t-shirt. Um, imagine how invasive it's going to be when it's everywhere in virtual reality when you're walking around this like in your you know your fake avatar and like all you see is ads so that is like so i think the product market fit at least like from a business perspective that facebook acquired oculus is like perfect like if i'm facebook i do the exact same thing from a customer perspective it's definitely a little bit unnerving you know because if i do want to just have that like pure gaming experience that's like not ad supported and just you know to your point, like a triple A Skyrim title where I'm just focused on the game. I don't know if that's going to come through Oculus. I'm curious if it does. Like I, I, I'm sure that they will, you know, have like ad supported and not ad supported, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, in order for this to take off, because the hardware is like just expensive and, and tough that the only way to m- make money off of that is going to be on, on the software side of things. So a bit of a rant doesn't have to do with the product <laughs> rating, but it just makes me get to my... Sp- it gets my spidey senses goes. Sorry, it gets my spidey senses going for Oculus specifically on Facebook. But that said, I think it's a great product. I'm just a 
technologist like through and through. <laughs> That's why I'm a product manager. That's why I work in technology. I uh, just love it. So I'm, I'm going to have to rate this like 3.9. I think that the biggest shortcomings right now is just that the fact that you have to plug this device into a giant beast of a computer for it to <laughs> effectively work. And it's also expensive to get started for, for the average person. Um, so yeah, this was a really fun episode, Jeff. Like I really enjoyed diving into Oculus and virtual reality and we should check back in in four years and see if any of these predictions were right and my dystopian view of Oculus, if that came through or not. Well, those are our thoughts on Oculus and we would love to hear from you, our audience. So feel free to share with us what you thought of this episode. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at prodxpodcast. That's P-R-O-D. EX podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.